Welcome to The Other Coast, the Malifaux podcast out of Southern California. My name's Colgan, and today with me is Jeff. Hello, Colgan. Hey, Jeff. <laughs> Fuck, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> you ruined it. You ruined I did, because you, you shouldn't have, uh, you know, given me a hint. So now I, I knew how to derail you. Uh, not that this is going to make any sense to our listeners, because they didn't hear any of the pre-show stuff. But uh, just rest assured that, you know, Colgan's, Colgan's bumbling... It, it it's not random. It was a well timed ambush executed by me. Anyways, <clears throat> let's get to the topic of the show. So we're doing another drawn to brilliance, which is probably obvious to anyone who clicked on this, since that's going to be in the title. This time, it's come around to you, Jeff, and you've expressed some interest in playing Parker. And since we know you don't care about aesthetics, I find, think it'll be interesting diving down into why you've now decided to try playing Parker when he's been available for so long. Well, I didn't say that I don't care about aesthetics. I do care about aesthetics. I just don't care about painting models. Uh, you know, like a crew's aesthetics in, in the sense of uh, what the crew looks like is actually a very important motivator for me. Okay, okay. In that case, what about Parker's aesthetics drew you to the crew? I just think, you know, Western bandits are are pretty fun. I really enjoy the the movie uh, 310 to Yuma, uh, especially the remake, which I, I mean, I think the remake is better than the original, which I mean, maybe heretical for, for some people. But, you know, it's 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 the old West. You've got uh, people on the lamb with guns. What's not what's not to love? Was there like a particular model in the crew that drew you to it? Or did you just kind of like the aesthetic as a whole if i don't like the look of the master it's pretty tough for me to get behind the crew so you know i i do really like the way parker one looks uh parker two also looks fantastic you know my my intention is to play parker one first uh but you know looking at the card art for parker two that's that's one really really neat character aside from parker I, I like kind of the sort of unified sense. Uh, it looks like a, a gang in the out west or in the old west, rather. I would say I'm not as big a fan of Benny or or maybe the Bayou Smuggler. You know, I, I kind of prefer this old west desperado look more. And so I'm not sure if I'm going to include benny or the smuggler in in my first parker cruise but we'll see you know i completely forgot that benny was bandit because i don't i don't think i've ever seen anyone take benny in a bandit crew i think he has some rather sorry i think he has better play in parker 2 i've seen in some vassal games people take him with parker 2 did parker 2 or the title coming out influence your decision to start playing parker at all or was this already kind of something you decided on no i mean i've been interested in parker for a long time i actually already own the the crew and and they're all built uh i don't yet know what bases to to put them on which is actually why i haven't played them yet <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry okay so just for the record how long have you owned them uh i don't know like two or three years maybe um but they've only been built for you know maybe 
like the last year or so. All right. So then I guess as far as the aesthetics, the whole bandit thing drew you to it. You don't necessarily like the smuggler or Benny, which is fair. So then what about the play style drew you to it? For one thing, they have a bunch of, of guns. So they're they're longer range, maybe a bit more defensive. All of that appeals to me. When you're using guns and and you have a bit more space between yourself and, and your opponent, there's maybe a, a bit more leeway in, in your positioning. And one of my weaknesses as a player is that I'm not always as rigorous with my positioning as I could be. You know, I, I don't necessarily have a great innate sense of where the right place to put models is. And so I have to spend a little bit more effort. And sometimes during gameplay, I can forget that. I mean, I'm generally pretty, pretty good with my master. You know, the, the more important a model is, the more careful I am with it. That, that doesn't, <laughs> you know, that's not like some great revelation, right? But in Malifaux, if your seven stone minion or something is, is one of the models that is relatively unimportant on that scale, well, a seven stone minion that you give away for free can still cost you the game. So I I am hoping that with how range oriented Parker is, that will help offset those issues. Uh, I also, because I play Jack Daw, I have familiarity with, with the dead outlaw. So, you know, even though that's, that's not necessarily a, a, the strongest connection between two crews, it, makes me feel like i i kind of have a sense for how some of these at least minions are going to play in the keyword okay okay so i guess as far as the positioning thing were you hoping just that you wouldn't have to lean on it as much or were you hoping to i guess kind of get some practice with a different type of positioning because you do you used to play daw a lot and you have to worry about like auras and ranges and stuff like that but overall daw is a much tankier crew than parker so were you hoping to kind of get a better idea of like positioning defensively to like maximize threat ranges without exposing your guys or what is kind of the thought process behind that i think the thought process is mostly that i know in in the percentage of games that i lose badly or you know due to poor performance on my part uh, a large percentage of those games are models that I give away for free, you know, by which I, I mean that I position them in such a way as to make them vulnerable. And I didn't really appreciate that at the, at the time, you know, when I, when I move them, it's not like, uh, Oh geez, should I really be out in the open here? It's, it's more like, you know, I moved somewhere and I didn't really ask about threat ranges and I didn't maybe be precise enough to to be sure that they would be within the range of my own defensive ours from other models or, or whatever it is. So I'm hoping that with a bunch of ranged models, I am going to get caught out in that way less often because there's just going to be a, a, a greater distance between myself and, and my opponent. So I'm more hoping that it mitigates mistakes that I expect to make anyways, mm-hmm. rather than provide me with tools to avoid mistakes. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So then as far as like overall play style, I guess looking to me, it seems like it kind of differs from your usual play style since you generally like taking tankier crews like Yamo, Jackdaw, I guess Dashel to an... I guess Dashel isn't really tanky, but he summons enough people that it kind of feels like that. 
so I guess in that sense, like, do you feel like this is a big divergence from your normal play style? Or do you feel like this is kind of close to how you usually play? So in my mind, I actually don't think that I am drawn to tanky crews per se, as opposed to sort of attritional crews. And I suppose in in some ways it's going to be similar because in order to achieve an advantage in an attritional contest, you uh, need to be more resilient than your opponent. Or actually, you just have to take less damage than your opponent, right? Or, you, mm-hmm. you know, the, the negative effects that you're both suffering need to impact your opponent more than more than yourself. And frequently the way to achieve that is to take a, a, a tankier crew, a crew that's going to offset damage to a, a, a greater degree. And so in practice, it might end up that I play tankier crews, but actually I, I think I'm just more attracted to an attritional play style. It's like the Crossroads 7 can have actually quite an attritional play style, even though they're not really tanky. But Bandit doesn't seem to be tanky or attritional, so <laughs> I don't really know if, if that if that clarification I was attempting to make, even if it's accurate, is particularly informative for this episode. I would say that Ford Parker, one of the things that, that appeals to me is that they have strong range threats in, in the form of, say, you know, Mad Dog, but that Parker himself is not really looking to to murder your opponent's best models mm-hmm. right so he's he's not a jack daw you know jack daw is, is quite a scary master if, if daw's gonna be able to spend his three ap wailing at the same model that model's in trouble it you know it, it, it might not die if, if it's strong enough or you know if it can use stones or whatever but daw is a scary model whereas i don't think you know parker is not the same parker you know his his attack is i mean it's okay Right? But Parker is, is really trying to do other things. He's trying to attack your opponent's resources, like with cards or stealing soul stones. Um, he's able to put out ski markers at range. So I think that's kind of what interests me about Parker. He's not an outcast Perdita 1. Uh, he, he is trying to do different things with his guns. And I think if he were an outcast Perdita 1, I, I, I wouldn't really be all that interested in him as a master. Okay, so I guess considering how his kind of slightly more indirect way of like attacking resources and stuff is drawing your interest. As far as GG2, do you have like a sense of, I guess, strategies or schemes you'd be strong into? or And did that, I guess, affect your decision to start playing him at all? Is he starting to feel like a gap in the current crews you have? Or is it more just you want to, I guess, see how his style of play will fit in? I think he would be a gap in the current crews I play in the sense that I don't really play a lot of ranged threat crews you know I, I tend to play maybe more bubble crews more or more melee crews so yeah but people with guns is going to be different i also don't play outcast very often you know i, I have hamelin i i've played him before but I, I don't play him a bunch and most outcast masters you know i play daw but i play him as rezzers so i i guess this is a way to branch out into outcasts because i do have an interest in playing all the factions. I mean, I play the Vix too, so I, I, I get, maybe it's wrong to say they don't play outcasts at all, but I don't play ranged crews very often. In terms of strategies and schemes, do you feel like he's filling a gap there, or is it really just, I guess, kind of the ranged crew that you don't currently field? Yeah, I don't know if a gap per se, because I do play other scheming crews like like Colette. You know, I, I play 
you know, like I said, some bubble crews or melee crews, so I can do most of the schemes uh, and strategies. I don't think Parker is someone that you would necessarily bring into, say, symbols of authority, uh, given the other options that I have. So it's it's not like I'm looking for for Parker to be my symbols crew. And you know, I mentioned symbols specifically because turf war and corrupted ley lines have very similar positioning requirements break the lines positioning requirements are just the center line so that also frequently is not very demanding and so symbols is the one strategy where i feel like you kind of are well suited to have a specific crew that you you want to take that's going to be able to you know push models why should i say push because that is a movement mode get models all the way across the opponent's table half and i don't really think that uh, parker is going to be my solution for that. So yeah, I wouldn't say that there's that I've been playing games being like, geez, I really wish I I had Parker for this. But I think I would be most excited to play him into Turf War because this range threat across the board is is something that is is new to me. So I'm wondering how well I could leverage that to kill models and flip Turf War markers. Okay, so I guess in terms of that, is there like a certain crew list that you're wanting to try out? Or is there a certain model that you want to run just to see how effective it'll be, I guess, into turf or or into any of the other strategies? Definitely Mad Dog. I'm very curious about how Mad Dog is going to work with my my playstyle. You know, I, I, I feel some concern that I'm just going to get Mad Dog caught out in... And just totally murdered because I think that he, you know, in my mind, I've just seen him destroy so many crews that I expect him to be invincible. And of course, in Malifaux, nothing is invincible. He's also got some, you know, both the Convict Gunslinger and the um, the Wokow Raider at eight point minions are a bit costly for minions. And I think they both definitely have their place, yeah, especially uh, the Convict Gunslinger has, has Chain Gang, which... Any sort of movement effect that has no test can have a lot of utility, but I worry that their lack of defenses means that I would get them kind of caught out. And so, yeah, I, I have mentioned this already, but I just I've been reviewing why I've struggled in the games that I've lost, and it really has come to this like giving away models for free uh, dynamic. I recognize that as kind of one of the biggest holes in my play, and. When you look at the Bandit crew, yes, they have ranged attacks, but their defenses are not really very good. And traditionally, I have looked to defenses to be the solution for my positioning issues. And Parker is not going to to give me that. So I'm interested to see how that works out for me. I mean, they all have bulletproof for the most part. Yes, yeah. uh, you know, they're great against themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do feel like Bulletproof is one of the weaker defensive techs just because guns are... I, I feel like overall guns are kind of weak in Malfoy. Do you think that's also going to be like a kind of huge barrier into playing Parker? Or do you feel like you have access to enough ranged actions that you'll be able to kind of overcome that with just volume of fire? I think any crew that is reliant on on range... Uh, not even just guns, right? But but just speaking ranged in general, you have to be a lot more careful at several stages of the game that I tend to just kind of breeze over. So for instance, deployment zones. 
when you're looking at the table, you really need to see what sort of sight lines are going to be possible, you know, where you're going to be obstructed, where you're just not going to be able to draw sight lines at all. And at the store, just so many times, it's like, oh, well, I'm over here. This is where I'm going. It's not that I've never swapped to the other side before because I have done it before. But for the most part, it's just wherever I end up at the beginning, that's that's just where I'm going to stay. Uh, and I think with a any sort of range crew, that's that's not optimal. And when you add in the fact that guns also care about cover, that just sort of exacerbates that issue. So am I concerned about uh, the impact of, of cover? Yes, I am, but more um, because I feel like it is just going to like increase the pain that I experience from mistakes that I'm already making. I do feel like in a general trend, at least on Meta at least, that you have been setting up the tables with a lot more terrain than usual. Because I feel like lately, whenever I'm doing any kind of range action, there's usually some kind of like concealing in my way. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, obviously it's not a, well, I shouldn't say obviously, it, it could be, um, but just to set you at ease, it's not an intentional sort of thing. So GW used to have this this slogan, the more terrain, the better the game. Mm-hmm. I, I think that holds true for Malifaux. But the problem, of course, is that terrain choices always have implications in terms of who's favored, you know, who gets a, who gets an advantage out of the terrain and who has to bear a burden. An interesting thing about Malifaux, of course, is that you see the board uh, and you see the, the strategy and the scheme pool before you pick your crew. So... On the one hand, if you pick a ranged crew onto a bad board, you only have yourself to blame. And on the flip side, if you do it and it's in sort of the most difficult environment, it's also the most the most challenging. So you are, are getting to learn under uh, the most demanding circumstances, I guess. Plus, I have all that Plastcraft, you know, the Malifaux. <laughs> I have all the Malifaux-themed terrain. I'm going to use it. The circus comes to town every week in tournaments. <laughs> My follow-up question is if we're going to see less terrain, but I guess you kind of answered that question. Does that mean that when you bring Parker out to play, are you going to be a little bit more cognizant of the terrain on the table and your positioning? Or is this just going to be, I'm playing Parker this week, even though I can't see like two inches in front of me. We'll see how this goes. Obviously, I would like to believe that I will pick my crew with a, you know, in a manner that reflects uh, skillful choices. So, uh, you know, I, I saw the board and I saw the pool and I picked a crew accordingly. Uh, realistically, it's just going to be like whatever I figure out what bases I want. The next Saturday is going to be a Parker day. <laughs> so probably another year from now. Yeah, probably. You know, at first I thought I was going to uh, use the same rail bases that I use for Mayfang because I like it quite a bit. And I do think that works thematically. But I don't know, the more I think about it, the, the, the less interested I am in sort of that theme. And also the rail bases are so specific that they work really well for Mei Fang, but I almost feel like it cheapens, you know, the choice I made for her if I, if I use it for another crew. You know, not every base assignment that I, I pick is, is unique, thank God, because, you know, there's like 58 masters or whatever. But in, in some circumstances where the aesthetic is quite specific, like in Mei Feng's case, do I really want to encroach on that to give bases to like Wild West Bandits, which is a pretty wide open theme. A lot of things can work for them. So 
yeah, I, I really, I'm not sure what I'm gonna, where I'm gonna go with Parker yet. You know, it's somehow really satisfying and really sad that I've painted like almost entire factions faster than you've chosen bases for your Parker crew. <laughs> well, I, I'm discerning. I, I have <laughs> high standards, and you know, I, I actually put in the work to live up to them. I could just slap any old 30 millimeter plastic disc under under Parker, but you know, then I would be letting myself down. So do you have any top contenders for what your bases are going to be for this crew? Well, so I do have uh, some extra of, of the old second edition Western ghost town inserts that I used for the Vix crew. They could work quite well for Parker, but I don't know if I have enough for all of his models. And I'm not confident I can source more because those inserts even like a year and a half ago, they weren't that hard to find on eBay, especially if you were willing to pay. Uh, but now they, you know, they're, they're just pretty scarce. It's it's hard to find them. Um, period. Especially the thirty mils, the forty mil and fifty mil are, are, are a bit more common. You know, maybe some sort of Badlands thing. Uh, you know, like desert themed. Maybe I can find some cacti or, or something. Another element, just in gaming in general, is that the like, I feel like there's a lot more bits and a lot more basing materials out there. You know, in the past, you would have to DIY a lot of this. And of course, that's not happening for me. But, you know, there probably is someone who makes just resin cacti that I could that I could buy and just stick on these desert bases. Or, you know, I shouldn't say these desert bases, though I have specific ones. But I can pick up some desert-themed bases from somewhere, I'm sure, uh, and stick some cacti and maybe like... Um, uh, like tumbleweed and, and stuff. So yeah, I mean, the more I, I'm talking about it now, the maybe some sort of desert or badlands theme is is a way to go. Desert of gray. So I, I guess <laughs> swinging back, there, there is one thing I wanted to ask because you mentioned Mad Dog. And I know that for a while, I, I'm not sure if it's still popular. I imagine it would be. But like running him with the hodgepodge emissary so you can get him like up the board and nuking someone after giving him fast and like a ton of free movement and shots, is that like a tech you're playing to play around with? Or is there something more specific you had in mind and how you're going to utilize Mad Dog considering how, I guess, antithetical he is to your usual play style? The Hodgepodge Emissary is a very solid model, I think, for any Outcast crew. I do think that he works really well in Parker because Weary Road is is quite nice. You know, the, the healing and the support elements... When I watch Vassal Games, I see uh, the HodgePodge Emissary with Parker not infrequently. Uh, am I going to do it specifically for for Mad Dog as, as a model? Uh, I, I don't know if I would go that far. Because there's just plenty of ways, I think, to get scheme markers down to give to give Mad Dog fast. Of course, you, you know, that doesn't really solve the movement. But uh, yeah, so, so in answer to your question, I can see playing the Emissary. Uh, depending on how many games I play with Parker, you know, if I if I do it once, I just really don't like it, um, and I and I hadn't had the emissary in that first game. Or I'm re- am I really going to play a, a second game just to have the emissary? Probably not. But assuming you know that I play a couple of games at least with Parker, I think the emissary is going to make at least one appearance. So I guess in that same vein, are there any other versatiles that you're looking at incorporating in the crew or have seen on Vassal that you thought were kind of like interesting or unique combinations? So, of course, the Prospector is an option, like the HodgePodge Emissary. They're, they're just solid models for what they do. You're going to have extra extra scheme markers. So, actually being able to 
use the prospector isn't going to be that big of an issue. That episode we did where we we put models into the good, okay, and bad categories. There are definitely instances where where Arc is is a good good choice. I mean, I could especially see Arc in a matchup like English Ivan, maybe where we're both ranged crews, but English Ivan can summon, so maybe I can use Arc to kind of block out uh, summoning. Um, Rusty Alice isn't isn't versatile, but you do sometimes see her in Parker crews just because her her gun is really nice. I really quite like Hans. I know some people are down on Hans, but I could see bringing Hans and maybe the Midnight Stalker. Yannick is a good choice because, again, she interacts well with these with these scheme markers, and I do see Yannick brought sometimes. Or I shouldn't say sometimes. I've seen Yannick in several games on Vassal with Parker. So to wrap up the Hodgepodge Emissary, the Prospector, uh, Yannick, Hans, Rusty Alice, those are all good choices. Pride. Uh, I, I don't tend to see people bring Pride very often on, on Vassal, but I think Pride, especially his cheat second aura, is fantastic. So I can definitely see him. I think I am getting to a point where the stone costs are adding up <laughs> uh, pretty quickly. So it's probably going to be an instance where I bring maybe one or at max two of those models uh, and just try to cycle through some. But there's there's enough versatiles out there to where I think there's you know quite a bit that you can do with his crew so that it's not actually the same every time. So then I guess with those versatiles, I guess with specific pairings, is there like a certain scheme that might lean you towards taking one? Or is this just something you're just going to try and like cycle through all of them and then try and achieve a level of understanding where you can create like the perfect general crew? Uh, I, I think it really depends on the model. So, you know, when I mentioned Arik, I think there has to be sort of some specific situations where he's going to make the most sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone like Rusty Alice... Uh, who you're just bringing for a gun. It's kind of like, well, I I was going to bring, say, a convict gunslinger, but I'm just going to pay a little bit more and bring Rusty Ellis this game. Hans, I think he maybe is less about his gun. How, how do I say that? Because I mean, because he is just a gun. So, <laughs> but like, I feel like with Hans, his thing is the reliability with his triggers, mm-hmm. right? So, if you bring him and you've got a low crow to toss, for instance, you know, his, his point there is just to spread slow to a bunch of people. And, you know, he does have ruthless, which is, is nice in certain situations. Uh, Vanessa does, or sorry, Yannick does quite a bit to, to just kind of help the crew in general. So I think she might be a little more on the general side, along with the hodgepodge emissary and the prospector pride. I think, you know, when I use Pride in the Crossroads 7, I feel like he's really important. And so it's kind of curious to me that I don't see Pride taken more often in these Vassal games. Now, in, in these Vassal tournaments, a lot of the players that play them, in fact, you know, probably most of the players that play them are stronger than me. So I'm not saying like, oh, these guys are idiots for not bringing Pride. It's more like, I think this guy is great. You know, what am I missing? So I might bring him in and actually find, oh, well, you know, in a Crossroads 7 crew... He's he's doing a lot for me, but in you know as it's just plugged in as a versatile, maybe it's not uh, gonna have the same effect. So we'll have to see. I I I think Pride is the model I'm most curious to see how how he does because the others I feel like I have solid answers to. Like I very rarely see Hans. A lot of people don't like Hans. I see Yannick and the Hodgepodge Emissary all the time. I see Rusty Ellis sometimes. 
I know Eric is a tech pick. So it really is, does come down to just like, how does pride work? Mm-hmm. So I, I guess it's kind of curious in that sense, because even though you kind of understand why people don't like Hans, you still think he's worth taking or you like taking him. Is that because you think that you're able to get value out of him that others can't? Or like, how do you view that? Well, for one thing, I like the model. Mm-hmm. You know, this you kind of mentioned that, uh, you know, since I don't care about aesthetics, but like <laughs> I said, I, I, I do care about aesthetics, right? You know, I, I like the Hans model quite a bit, and that's enough for me to fit him in. Uh, Ruthless is going to be really effective against some crews. You know, if you're playing, say, Dreamer, where everyone has terrifying, uh, Ruthless is really nice. If you're playing against a Crossroads 7, Ruthless is really nice. Colette, uh, you know, Ruthless is not bad. I would say it's really nice, but, uh, you know, showgirls aren't good models. Angelica's not a good model. So actually, in fact, the models you see in her keyword, she doesn't necessarily bring a lot of manipulative. But Ruthless is useful in a lot of in a lot of circumstances. So I wouldn't say that I feel like I have some sort of beautiful mind solution that other people have missed with Hans. I think all the critiques I hear of Hans, I feel are valid. Mm-hmm. You know, if Hans's bonus action were like reveal... Uh, a card instead of discard a card or if it if it had like a target number and if you succeed you can choose a suit i think he would be a lot better as is having to discard a card eh, it's it's kind of a fairly high cost like if you compare it to say tools for the job right it it's it's almost laughable how much more hans has to pay to add a suit so i i do think that the critiques against hans are valid but I see, I see Hans as someone who he, he gives you options that are difficult to get otherwise. You know, Ruthless isn't necessarily all that easy to find. Being able to spread slow at range isn't necessarily all that easy. He's got tactical planning to give pass tokens or activation control. So is he a bit expensive for what he's doing? Is he a bit resource intensive for what he's doing? Sure. But can you get value from him? I, I think that you can. So I guess in that case, well, I guess you already mentioned this in early episodes, but there's no like necessarily any aesthetic that will kind of like push you away from playing a model entirely, but it does sound like it kind of plays into your decisions a little bit at least, right? Because you're not really looking to run Benny or the... The Bayou Smuggler. The Bayou Smuggler, because they don't really fit into your vision of that crew. What's kind of like the make or break point for you in bringing in certain models? Like, you mentioned you're interested in trying out Pride. Like, at what point do you think it'll be that you're just going to stop running them? Or, like, what level of effectiveness do you feel like you need to get out of a model to make it worth taking, even with all these, like, downsides, as you mentioned, for... Why can I not remember names? The guy with the sniper rifle. Hans, Hans, there you Hans, go. oh. Well, so, first of all, I... You know, when I say, like, doesn't match these sex, it's like, it doesn't match the head cannon I have for like why this particular crew is together. Hmm. Like when I build a crew, I actually do like kind of have this vision of how these models kind of fell in together or something. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like Benny doesn't sort of match the, the kind of wild west desperado sense that I have when I'm building this, this Parker crew in my head. And maybe if I just reimagine Parker, you know, Benny would fit a lot better. It's not, really uh it's not analogous to your situation where you're like oh well i find this model repulsive so i just won't bring it right i don't really have that interaction with models 
I do have the opposite where if I if I like the aesthetic of a model, I will bring it even if it's not necessarily the best. It's hard to quantify really if I get some value from it. You know, I think I'm probably willing to to give up about two stones, I think. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's just a number that I'm throwing out there. It feels <laughs> You know, like I, I I used Angelica in second edition when she really wasn't a good model, uh, just because she fit the theme. Mm-hmm. And I bring Angelica in third. You know, it, so the thing about these models that um, people tend to be down on, it's not that they do nothing, right? It's just that there are better options out there for your stones. So if you can find a use for these models to where they're contributing. Often that's enough to justify their presence in these casual games. Like if I, if I, you know, if it's kind of like the Aztec ball game where the, the losing, the losing players are, are sacrificed to the gods. Um, or if I'm playing in the, you know, Malifaux universe championship for a million dollars or something, am I, am I still going to hold to my aesthetic, uh, <laughs> standards? You know, probably not. Um, so I, I, I am not. I'm not really advocating for for aesthetical purity here, but the way a crew looks kind of like all together as a group or a, a particular model, I like, I find a particular model cool. Is that enough to get into, into a game? Uh, yeah, even when maybe some of those choices become suboptimal from a mechanical standpoint. So then in a similar sense, do your choices, I guess, extend to the alternate models? If there's like an alternate Benny model that looked, um, I guess, bandited enough, would you run them? Or is it still just kind of based on like the lore and the character itself? No, I mean, I think it, the right alternate model could, you know, could could definitely get, get someone in. Okay, okay. I think that wraps up most of the questions we went over. Let's see, I guess, why you wanted to play the crew in the first place. I guess what schemes and strats you felt like you'd be strong into, versatiles you might want to bring, cool stuff you see on Vassal, which I feel like you're probably like the number one spectator for Vassal games at this point. I do spectate a lot of them, but I also frequently it's just to have Malifaux themed background noise. You know, I, I um I'm rarely in a silent environment. You know, I, I listen to music or, you know, I'll have a movie on the background or whatever and, and or like a podcast. Um, and sometimes it's just nice to have a Malifaux game on as well. And you would be surprised just what you can learn from osmosis. You know, you think you're not really paying that much attention, but, uh, you know, stuff seeps in. So I, I do think it does kind of help help my uh, my Malifaux knowledge. And it also, uh, you know, it helps sustain my, my enthusiasm for Malifaux to be around Malifaux content. One reason you know I did want to bring up that I I am kind of interested in playing Parker is I do actually think that Parker matches up well with a lot of the crews that are played by people at the store. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot of melee crews at the store. There are um, a lot of bubble crews at the store, uh, and I think Parker does does well against both of those. You play Asami, um, Ali plays Dreamer, you know, there, there are quite a few summoners around. I, I'm not really sure that Parker does great against them. I guess that's something we'll have to see. But yeah, I, I, I do think that, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying Parker against the matchups that I expect to encounter. Was there like a particular matchup at the store you think will be really strong into? Or is this just kind of, you want to see how these dynamics work out, considering... 
I guess up until now, like you said, most of the crews we tend to see play and at the store tend to be, I guess, heavily weighted towards melee. I think they're every way towards melee, but you know, Ash plays Yedza, so there's some bubble crew seen at the store. You know, we haven't seen Luke in for for a little while. Um, well, he plays Hoffman, so it'd be, probably be a mistake to play Parker against Hoffman. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I think a lot of the crews that get played at the store are melee based, uh, and so I think Parker might, you know, have an advantage against those, or or you know, match up favorably against against them. So we kind of expect to see less terrain on the tables. <laughs> well, it would be wrong of me to set up the boards to my own advantage. <laughs> That's not really an answer. But <laughs> I can't like do anything if the Bushido people came in earlier and, and used the Asian terrain. And uh, if the circus terrain, you know, if we can't find it. And I mean, I'm looking at the photos from the uh, Conquest Parabellum tournament and they used uh our bayou forest or sorry our desert forests Mm -hmm. um so you know if if other terrain is being used by other players there's not really anything i could do about that that yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah (laughs) we could definitely see some of those like buckets of terrain just suddenly disappear from the shop (laughs) hey you could you could arrive early and set up the boards I, i i would not complain about that i mean let's face it you need every advantage you can get I'll just bring, you know, three Wokow Raiders uh, and I'll be a Melee Parker, Melee Parker crew. I, I remember playing around with Wokow Raiders a little bit when I was playing Hamlin and they're surprisingly tanky. I remember them like surviving way longer than I thought they would. And was it they have that Melee thing where you can't cheat against them. And that came up way more often than I thought it would. Yeah, that that is a, a quite nice effect. Now, it does not work if they take the hit. They don't have take the hit. But combat finesse is based on being targeted. So if you become the target, they can cheat against you. Oh, my brain hurts every time I need to think about that. You know, I've, I've played Misaki on you know more than one occasion. I've, I've never actually brought them, though. Mm-hmm. They don't interact with shadow markers. Maybe that's why I haven't brought them. But, I mean, they look like decent models. And, you know, one thing I could do is I could make a melee Parker crew, right? You know, a bunch of Wilkow Raiders. I just charge forward and use my gunfighter. It kind of reminds me of, like, you'll see sometimes in MMOs. I don't know if you really play MMOs or not. I dabble. I, I you know, I, I used to play WoW. I play uh, Star Wars or Old Republic right now. There's a kind of player in MMO games that, I mean, I don't know if they think they're being cute or whatever, but they always want to play things the obvious wrong way, like the the way there's no support for. So like in World of Warcraft, they'll want to play melee mages or something. And so the vast majority of their abilities are useless and they're just running around hitting people with a sword at like a very subpar uh, degree of proficiency. I mean, I could totally do that with Parker. That kind of reminds me, I used, oh, I forget the original like Final Fantasy MMO. Final Fantasy Eleven, I think. Is that it? It might be. The one where you needed like six people to fight anything worth experience. I think one of the best tanks was like the blink tank for the ninja. Uh-huh. Because it seemed like kind of an off thing, right? Because the ninja isn't really supposed to be your tank. But I think if you could... I remember you needed like a lot of money to run it because you needed to buy like all the materials for it. But basically you could get it to where he was just like insta-dodging every single attack. 
So I, I guess in some cases it works out. I, I have no idea what that's supposed to prove in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> My friend, I, so I never played Final Fantasy XI. And to be honest, Japanese MMOs are just way too hardcore for me. Mm-hmm. But I have a friend who, or actually I have two friends who played FF11. One of them spending a lot of time crafting. And apparently there was like this flower that you could only, like that would only bloom once a month for an hour or something like that. So, you know, it was like really restrictive in, in terms of just how much, like how you could interact with it. And then the other, the other friend wanted, oh yeah, it was like a wedding dress or something. It was the most expensive item in the game. So it mm-hmm. took years to grind up enough for the the money. I, I, I don't know what the money in Final Fantasy is called, but... Uh, Gil. Gil. Okay. Yeah, Generally. Well. I do not have a ton of experience with Final Fantasy XI, but my impression of it was that it was super grindy. Um, I've heard Final Fantasy XIV is um, very different and pretty easy to get into, but I, I haven't played it. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about it. Apparently, my friend is pretty into it, and apparently there's like a huge world reset because they're like, shit's fucked, so a dragon came and destroyed the world and rebuilt it, and then it's <laughs> been like a much better game since. I was thinking in general too, I feel like just kind of old MMOs kind of leaned into hardcore grindy things. So I remember one of my friends played EverQuest and he's like, oh yeah, you kill something and then you have to rest for like 10 minutes before you could kill something else. Uh-huh. In Star Wars, my main thing is actually decorating my strongholds. And I don't know why, because in real life, like I don't care about decorations at all. You know, I'll sit on milk crates. Uh, it, it's just, it's not important to me, but in Star Wars, I just spent all my time playing like Barbie Space Dreamhouse and <laughs> you know going and 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 going on raids or or doing instances or whatever so that I can get the rare decoration drops. So see, like aesthetics matter to me. Just painting doesn't matter to me. Yeah, aesthetics in the real world don't matter to you. <laughs> it's your mind aesthetics with how crews are linked in your own headcanon and your space Barbie castles. Well, Epicurus said that mental pleasures are higher than physical pleasures anyways. So maybe I'm just leading a virtuous, sustainable life. I feel like that just quoting Epicurus out of that is just like some way to make yourself feel better about everything. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm, I'm above everyone else because I can quote philosophers about how me thinking about things is better than them experiencing things. You know, I've already told you before, I'm not going to apologize for having an education. You know, I, it's it's uh, more lamentable to me that I, I can't just use these references and, uh, you know, speak with like-minded individuals. Instead, everyone around me is just so shallow. All they care about is physical appearances. Anyways, um, <laughs> since we've effectively gone completely off topic for the podcast itself... Um, do you have any like final concluding thoughts about, I guess, Parker or his current general or how fancy they look in your mind? Uh, I guess the one thing I would say is when when deciding to pick an, a new crew to play, it's actually like it's actually non-trivial to me, right? You know, I I only play one or maybe two games of Malifaux a week, and and these are yeah. How, how do I say this? This is. If I do something and I and I like let's say I pick Parker and I really don't like it, mm-hmm. like to me that's that's a n- not insignificant cost, right? I mean, it just kind of took away my opportunity to have a good experience. So you know, I have noticed in myself that I've been playing a more narrow circle of crews in third than I had intended when third came out because 
In second, I was, if not quite Colette exclusive, I was very much a Colette main. You know, I played her in virtually every game of Malifaux that I played. And in third, I wanted to... So first of all, I explicitly didn't have a main in third on purpose so that I would be able to sample more things. And I've, I've found actually that in practice, uh, although I am playing more than just one crew, I'm not really playing as many crews as I wanted to. Uh, and I don't really know why that is. You know, maybe it's like ease of play where I was, you know, I, I got comfortable with some things. Maybe it has to do with the fact that for a long time, we had a lot of really new players. I mean, you know, now we've got some players who, who you know, they've been playing for a year or two, so they've got some good experience. They're not going to be completely thrown for a loop if I if I play a, a crew that they haven't seen before. But yet maybe part of it was a desire not to overexpose other people to new crews. Maybe it was to try to help keep game lanes down. I mean, I, I don't really know. But what I'm hoping is that when I actually do break out this Parker crew, uh, that it will actually be the start of a trend to where I will start to mix it up more and, and play outside my comfort zone a bit more. Uh, I guess in that case, has there been like a crew lately that you put out on the table and just regretted it? Uh, what do you mean by by regret? Well, you were saying how like, since you don't actually get that many plays, you know, you play Malifaux maybe once or twice a week, that if you put out a crew that you don't really enjoy, it feels kind of like i guess you've wasted an opportunity since you only have so many chances to play malifaux so i know that that has happened i I can't give you like a specific game but i feel like the situation where that happens uh is maybe where you know i don't necessarily know who's all coming in or maybe someone has said that they're they're coming in for a demo and they don't come or whatever guess my point is i if i know i'm coming in uh, and that I'll be able to play a game because of the numbers and and how people have confirmed or whatever. I tend to bring a bag that reflects what I want to play because I, I I don't bring thirty bags to a game like Jim does. Mm. Um, so I have to choose. I just bring one bag and what's in it is in it. But in my demo bag, I have Sonia, Bass, and Dashiell. And there've been instances where I've brought that bag thinking I'm going to do a demo, and then for whatever reason I don't do a demo and I end up having I shouldn't say having, but I end up playing a, a game against, you know, a, an experienced player, a player who this isn't a demo game, it's just a normal game. And I have to choose between one of those three crews and I don't necessarily find it all that exciting sometimes. So, I mean, there's definitely been instances where I played Bass and I, you know, I, I don't mind Bass. Bass is fun, but sometimes it was like, well, you know, this isn't the crew that's going to excite me for this game, but I'm going to play it and it'll be fine. So does like it's like the excitement have to do more with mechanics, or is it really just more like how you're feeling that day? It has to do with how I'm feeling. It has to do with my opponent's crew as well. So you know, in in common with a lot of the other players at our meta, I would rather have a a good game than win eight zero, right? And it's not because oh I'm just such a great guy, but it's because I'm down there to play Malifaux, right? And a if I win 8-0 or if I lose 0-8, that is probably an indication that that game wasn't very good, mm-hmm. right? So I will frequently, you know, I will avoid picking counter crews. If I, you know, a lot of the people at our at our store, they play kind of a narrow range that I know mm-hmm. what I'm likely to see. So knowing that helps me helps me pick crews that are just going to, you know, might not lead to the, to the best matchups or something like that. So 
I would say that that's kind of my number one priority in picking crews. You know, that they're going to be an interesting matchup. I also would kind of like to prefer, I, I, I would prefer avoiding near matches, which fortunately don't happen really all that often at all at the store. But, um, and I do think that, how is it? I don't even really like playing crews that I know my opponent plays because I feel like uh, I have an opportunity to show them, right? Because I'm one of the more committed Malifaux players, right? And I have a larger Malifaux collection than most of the other players in the meta. I guess my point is, like, Ash. Ash owns Colette. I don't really want to play Colette against Ash because he's, you know, he's seen Colette. He, he knows what that's about, right? I'm not, I'm not offering him um, really anything new about the game at that point. So I'd rather play something that I know he doesn't have. So, you know, the, all of those are, are considerations that, uh, again... They're not like, oh, I'm such a great guy. I'm thinking about other people all the time when I'm picking the cruise. It's that my own goals for the game, you know, happen to include not just gameplay elements. And I feel satisfied when I can meet those goals and I feel less satisfied uh, when I can't. Yeah, you definitely put way more thought into that stuff than I do. <laughs> I think it it's generally a good thing, though. Yeah, thinking about how certain matchups are. I guess especially since in some cases you can kind of end up with hard counters or just, I guess, like weird situations like Reva versus Karis. Yeah, or you know, there are people who maybe only play one crew, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, a handful of crews. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I pick the, the counter and and I blow them off the table, neither of us got a good game. So let's just uh, pick something that's going to be, I, I think, uh, a more competitive experience. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I also have tried to avoid playing summoners against most, a lot of our more casual players. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, because of balance issues, but also because of time issues. Mm-hmm. If I don't feel strongly about a crew, if I could have a fun experience either way, I, I can pick a crew that is maybe going to, you know, not take as long to play. Or clocks. Or clocks. I mean, I'm in favor of clocks. Uh, I, I think we should. We did use them last time, and. You know, I obviously I have quite a bit of reflexive muscle memory to build up, <laughs> but for us, because we we do routinely get our games done in in two and a half or or less in two and a half hours or less, the clock for us isn't so much about making sure that we finish games quickly as as you know. For me, I see the real benefit being kind of normalizing their presence, mm-hmm. and you know maybe we can get uh, some of our other players in our meta to try out clocks even if the clock doesn't have a significance maybe just to to get used to its presence mm-hmm. but yeah I, I would like to see clocks become um more widespread yeah and then until you build up your reflexes you're going to be death clocking yourself a lot <laughs> <laughs> i think what for when we were playing I, I reminded you like every single turn on the uh every single round on the first turn just off the clock and then i kind of forgot after that and then we just ran like an hour on your time yeah, I, I, I do think that happened. I, I do recall winning with like 13 minutes left. So, <laughs> you know, obviously I, I'm doing okay. I mean, I had like 40 minutes. So I could have clocked you out. But, you know, <laughs> I, I decided to be a graceful god. You you are, you are, you are. Uh, <laughs> take the high road. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Uh, no, that's, that's pretty much it. I'm going to have to now make a serious effort at looking at base options for Parker. Uh, hopefully i can get him on the table this summer all right so 
I guess thank you all for listening as long as you have. If you guys have any recommendations for bases that Jeff can use for his Parker crew, or I guess any other crews, since apparently they're not the only crew he has trouble picking bases for. And maybe we yeah, can I think get I have like, I think I have like legit 25 crews I need bases for. And I don't own every crew. Okay. I mean, I, I own about maybe like half to two thirds of the, of, of the range, but I don't own every crew. Um, but there are still like 20 to 25 crews I need bases for. So I am really interested in, you know, leads on bases or, or base making companies. I don't have a 3D printer. So STL files, not super useful to me. But yeah, I, I would appreciate leads to bases. Yeah, it'd be cool if you get like a whole list of things. So then you can also have a crisis when you realize there's a base that fits a crew you already have way better than the one you picked. That is annoying. Um, <laughs> also, what's annoying is uh, some companies, maybe they'll make a baseline, but they won't make it in all base sizes. Cyborg, a, 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 a miniature company in Poland, they, they make bases that are, that are quite nice. I've used um, some of them for, for a couple of my crews. But they have some of their baselines where they'll make like 30 mil, they'll make 40 mil, and then they'll make 60 mil, but not 50. And she's like, oh, come on, dude. So not all of their baselines are like that because, as, as I've said, I've used them for other, like Euripides, for instance. I've, I've used Cyborg's bases for my Euripides crew and, and some really cool 50 mil bases that they're on. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty frustrating too. And then, of course, when they make bases that I love, but they're not, the edge isn't rimmed. I know base size is all that matters, but... <laughs> So yes, I am looking for leads, but they have to be either inserts or they have to be rimmed and they it has to be to where I can use the same theme for every base size that that crew is going to require. <laughs> All right. Um I love how you're so oh, peculiar about this, but like fucking priming anything is like beyond you. <laughs> well, because every time I paint something, I it's an ordeal. You know, that boat that I painted for Armada, that was that legitimately took me about six weeks to paint. Um, Which and it is still like nice. 50 weeks under your base <laughs> picking options. <laughs> it turned out nice, but it wasn't worth six weeks of my life. So... <laughs> Yeah. All right. All right. Anyway, so yes, anyone out there, if you guys have bases you love for your crews, for your keywords, you have recommendations to throw Jeff down a spiral for another couple of years, um, please let us know. Oh, you actually, <laughs> I am really looking for Brewers Guild bases from Guild Ball because uh, I want them for Brewmaster. Uh, and they were made by a third-party company, and you absolutely cannot find them now. So if any of you out there were Guild Ball players, because I know a lot of people did come to Malifaux from Guild Ball, and you have those Brewers Guild bases and you don't want them, I will buy them from you. So yeah, that's that's one base set that I know I want that I've not been able to find, and I don't expect to be able to play Brewmaster until I can find them. <laughs> so we got like three years. Three years to get you those. I mean, I've been looking for them for probably about a year and a half now, and I've not found any. And that's, you know, it's not like, oh, I found some and I just didn't want to pay it. No, I have not found any of the bases available. And the thing is, before Guild Ball died, 
I knew those bases existed, but I actually, because I wasn't really paying that much attention to Guild Ball, I didn't understand it was going to close down like it did. Um, so I was like, ah, there's no worry. I, I don't, Brewmaster's not on my radar, so eventually I'll get to it. And now I'm just sitting here going, can't find these stupid Brewers Guild bases. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, this is the longest... Or this is going to be like the fourth time I try to get to like the conclusion of this episode. And this is like every single time it gets derailed by bases. And I can't think of like any other episode where you've had so much to talk about that we couldn't close out the episode. And you're just really talking about different kinds of bases. Well, any other bases, any other bases you want to get out of your system? No, no, I, I, you can, you can proceed. Um, Go ahead. Fuck, I don't even know if we can do it anymore. All right. So if you have brewer bases from Guild Ball or any other suggestions, and then maybe we can just, I don't know, extend this episode for another hour until Jeff gets it all out of his system um, and decides the perfect bases for his 25 plus crews that still remain. Uh, let us know. You can reach out to us on our Discord. We also are on Facebook. We're kind of on Reddit. We have an account. Yeah. I mean, we post episode uh, um, episode release posts. I, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't think of another <laughs> word. <laughs> you know, notices, I guess, uh, on, on Reddit. So, yeah, we are on Reddit. Yep, so you can reach out uh, to us on any of those platforms. Just, I guess, tell us what basis they have. Send Jeff for a loop, and then maybe we'll see him at some point as he emerges from his milk crate laden lair <laughs> if you've somehow enjoyed these last like 20 minutes of me trying to end the episode um, you can support us with you know listens are always great we also have a patreon so you can support us that way if you prefer to do that as always we love hearing comments from everyone so we'd love to hear your thoughts on like more content you'd like to hear whether it's i guess how we feel or think about crews or bases or aesthetics in general, or if you'd rather us talk about more concrete things, like how to actually play Malifaux, uh, let us know. And with that, I will or say Or Greek goodnight. philosophy. Or Greek, philo- Greek philosophy, really? Do you know, oh, who else do you know besides Euclides? You, 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 was Epicurus. Epicurus. Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. Euripides. Euripides, sure. Uh, wait. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. You know, he's got the uh, uh, problem of evil, right? I, I, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't know. It's been so many years since I since I actually had to study uh, Greek philosophy. He's I remember pulling this to, stuff out of your ass trying to sound smart. I remember. I remember when I was studying Byzantine history and trying to learn Greek, and I'm just really bad at languages, so I never did it, which is one of my great regrets. I mean, you still got time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess then you can reach out to us, everyone, with your base suggestions. I guess philosophers, Greek philosophers that Jeff should get back into, and maybe suggestions for language learning platforms so he can <laughs> get over his lifelong regret and do something while he's sitting around looking at bases online in his milk crate space. Decorating my, my Star Wars dream house. <laughs> God, that is just All so right. pathetic. It is. Good night, everyone. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm quitting while I'm behind. <laughs>